Hello and welcome everybody to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and streaming live to CHD and Twitter and Facebook, at least for now. Um, you know, AM radio is this wonderful free speech platform and hopefully it's not going to be impacted by some of the things we are uh, going to be discussing on the show today. I don't know about Twitter. I don't know about Facebook. They're all captured in there. Um, Got to let you know from the get-go that the views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of KKNW or CHD, uh, Children's Health Defense. We are just here bringing you information, having great uh, conversation in order to keep you informed so you can explore more, you know, and live that informed life and be that active person that you need to be in order to um, help preserve this great republic that we still have. Uh, we've got Javier Figueroa in the house today. Yay, we missed him last week. Hello. Hey. Hi, it's so good to have you here. Good to be here. I, I, I got to tell you, because I was expecting you last week, and I only got Carl for like an hour and a half, and so the poor listeners, it was me talking to myself for half an hour. That is really <laughs> tough to do. <laughs> But, you know, I, I had some tabs open and I told them a little bit about Bernadette's world. OK, this is something I'm looking into and I'm looking into this and here what's going on. And so they got a glimpse of that. But I think it's better when we've got the dynamic. The dynamic duo here. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Even if you rarely get an word in edgewise. And I did pledge to you and to our two guests who are about to come on that I'm going to do my best to step back and let you amazing gentlemen really take the lead on this first hour conversation here. And with that said, I'm going to bring on uh, Greg Glazer, um, attorney, and James Raguski, who is a advocate um, for free speech. And um, we're going to have this great conversation about some looming deadlines um, having to do with this thing called the Digital Services Act. It's a new act. It's a new law. And it is in the EU, European Union. However, it impacts businesses that have global reach. And some of the language is rather concerning because it's, it's not just somebody intentionally having a global reach, but let's just say Informed Choice Washington is on the internet hosted by GoDaddy. It can be viewed from anywhere in the world. And this Digital Services Act impacts um, platforms mm -hmm. that host websites, you know? So I'm not sure how this is all going to play out. So um, I called Greg Glazer yesterday and bless his heart. I love his perspective on things. I was called him all concerned and he is too. However, dear Greg, he came up with, uh, he said, Bernadette, this could be a good thing. And we'll, we'll get to that. So, um, see, I'm already doing the squirrel thing. Greg, would you introduce yourself to listeners? Um, and remember, we're on the radio and um, video also here. So, uh, and let them know a little bit about yourself as an attorney and the work you do. Sure. Well, I'm a health freedom attorney, which means that my job is to help parents and children and doctors navigate mandatory vaccine laws so that they can avoid vaccines. And that work has brought me into the greater health freedom space, 
which is to focus on the way that these biotech companies, these big tech companies are trying to get into every aspect of our lives. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't enough for them just to push vaccination. They are very much interested in our social systems, our identification and, and more. And so that brings me to this Digital Services Act, which we'll be talking about today. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes. And James uh, Roguski, can you please uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm uh, 63 years old, and so I won't give you the whole 63. <laughs> uh, last year, I stumbled into the portal to a rabbit hole to all of the information with the WHO. Uh, I was reading a blog, and there was a, a sentence that said, we've obtained a document. And I clicked on the hyperlink. I read the document. And I had a lightning bolt go down my spine. I was like, what is this? And what it was um, has put me on a journey for this past year. Um, I can't find my way back out of the rabbit hole. So here I am. I guess you guys are down here with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, there are a lot of people who know James as the guy who's single-handedly taking on the WHO. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you talk to people in the movement and you say, you know, do you know James Rogeski? And they say, oh, of course. You know, I read Substack. And, and uh, it's just really impressive the way that James has been able to mobilize activists to resist the, the WHO and the way that they are um, threatening our rights. They, they make it easy. Um, all, all I've really been doing is reading their incredibly boring documents. You know, there's probably millions of words out there. And they just, they, they've got, last year they had um, a budget of $3.8 billion mm. and they spent 30% of it on salaries. Right. They had 8,000 some people. They pay people 12, uh, I'm sorry, $120,000 a year. How much propaganda, how many radio shows could you put out with a budget of, you know, a billion dollars? They only spend a half a billion on medical products. And you just go, well, wait a minute. I, I bet I could do better than that. Yep. So I just read their stuff until I find a nugget and I just shine a light on what they tell you they're going to do. Yeah. And, you know, I always think all the money they've spent with all this nonsense, how many toilets would a billion dollars buy? How much water, clean water, sanitation infrastructure to prevent the spread of all disease would this money have bought? How much vitamin A? How much ivermectin? You can say ivermectin on our show, by the way. Um, <laughs> and hydroxychloroquine. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's a good question. How many toilets would a billion dollars buy? Just well, it's, it's interesting. In their latest things, they're talking about you know, their goals are they want to have um, a, a billion more people have uh, health care. They want to have a billion more people do this and a billion more people do that. And then you look at how much money they have budgeted. And it's like, wow, you're going to get universal health care for a billion people for like 60 cents a, you know, a year. Sign me up. OK. And, and, and you just you look at it and you go, the goals, you know, there's that's ridiculous. But they say it and it, propaganda is amazing. You know, they say things. And one of the things I hope we get to talk about is how they are skillful at writing their documents or law. And, and when one person reads it, if you have a good heart and you read their stuff, it's like, well, this is great. If you put on your evil overlord glasses and you look at it sideways and you realize that, hey, wait a minute you're not going to be the person implementing and enforcing and regulating this. Um, how could you manipulate it? That's, you know, I think it's a commonality between the stuff I've been digging into and what we're talking mm -hmm. about today. 
the words look nice until you figure out how, you know, what they really mean. Oh, yeah. You know, we, we've learned that lesson uh, the hard way with safe and effective vaccines. Exactly. Uh, you know, you hear that phrase. And, you know, for this Digital Services Act that we're going to talk about today, their slogan is, get this, safe and accountable. Oh, yeah. Come on. Safe and accountable. That, that's it. It's like they are the masters of propaganda. And so that's going to be the theme here today. So we'll, let's just get right into it. I, I, can, feel, I can feel the whole, the whole show just talking about that. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, the, 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 the marketing. Um, uh, Bernays would be impressed. So, so the, the, whole, the whole idea of this Digital Services Act is that it comes from the EU. So the EU is generally pro, it's, it is a government entity in Europe. They are very pro-industry. They've been described as fascist on some level, and, and we'll, we'll get into that. And this is the their website. And what we're looking at here, and there, there it is, safe and accountable. So what the, their pitch is that they need to regulate the internet. And they're going to regulate it from the top down. So that means the top is uh, is not people like me and you. The top is Google, Apple, Amazon. They're at the top because they are uh, their platforms. They're 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 mega providers. And the way that this new European law works is that it'll be implemented on U.S. companies. So this European law will affect you very soon, as in August of this year because we're going to start seeing changes in Google and Apple. And I'm going to go into what some of those changes are. But first, since we're talking about their pitch, let's hear their pitch. So the, the, the pitch of the European Union is, gosh, what a problem with the internet. It's got all the, they're selling, it's got illegal content. It has uh, vulnerabilities in its infrastructure. It could be subject to hackers. Let's go in there and tell these big providers how to run their how to run their operations and let's help them remove what we consider to be illegal goods and illegal information yes illegal information and so their pitch is that that, that consumers are going to be protected there's going to be transparency and this is going to foster innovation and growth and when you go to that website that our host Bernadette just shared. What you'll see is they have this marketing video that's about a minute long with these smiling, happy people. You know, it is like a utopia of censorship. These people love it. So that's their pitch that they're going to make your world better. Now let's read between the lines. So the big picture here is that the Digital Services Act, this European law, the rules are very broad. Um, there are many rules and they have these wishy-washy phrases about um, preventing discrimination and promoting accountability. And nobody in their right mind would know how to interpret that if you just look at it in a vacuum. That is intentional. That, that is intentional because it means that the companies, the big companies, the Googles of the world, they are going to be the first ones on the scene to interpret it for you. So you will not have a say. And, and when Google interprets it, they will interpret it in favor of their agenda, which is, of course, woke. And you know that. So so the powers that be are going to push their agenda as far as they can. I don't think that even the powers that be know how far, how much they can get away with, which is why 
they're implementing this stress testing. And uh, Nathan, could you pull up the, the thumbnail for this episode today? We have the calendar here that is August 25. That is the day that they are going to be implementing this. I'd also like to highlight just to apologize to users who thought they were coming on to see a before and after photo of a beard growing cream. That's actually James in the background and me in the foreground. We actually are going to be covering the DSA. <laughs> so, um, so this, this, th this big picture here is that the WHO, they tried and the, the, basically the UN, what they tried to do is they tried to push uh, international governance hard over the last several decades. They pushed the Rome Statute, International Criminal Court. They tried for international taxation and all this stuff, but they could never get full powers over taxation and regulation. They never had police powers over, you know, Americans or over Australians, for example. So they're, so they're doing this end around. And we saw it with COVID. The end around was through public health, through the WHO. And this New act, this DSA is an extension of that into the digital sphere. It's like public health for the digital sphere. And so some of the key provisions that are really troubling in this DSA is um, when I was preparing for the show, I thought, how am I going to explain these key provisions um, and then put them in context? So I'm going to tell you the context first before I tell you what the provision is. Okay. Because I think that helps understand. So the first is woke power. So what the, what the EU wants to do is they want to empower the woke army. So they, so they say that advertisements cannot be displayed based on the sensitive data of the user, such as ethnic origin, political opinions, or sexual orientation. That, this allows the EU to um, basically target pro-life organizations and so forth. Uh, the, uh, another uh, aspect is, and this sort of promotes the idea of this one world government type thing, is that all must provide cooperation with national authorities following the orders of the fact checkers. I, I, I need to break this down because what I just said is so monumental. It's different than what maybe you've heard before on other programs. What, what's happening here is that this EU law says that these providers, the Googles of the world and lower, even all the way down to like WordPress and blogger sites, they have to cooperate with national authorities. Okay. That means with your, with your local governments and with your, your higher up governments. So they have to coordinate with the authorities in order to remove illegal content. Illegal content is defined by what a fact checker says. So that means USA Today leads stories, you know, your, your, your safe and effective vaccine fact checkers. Those guys now have legal power. They were given legal power under this EU law to, they're called trusted flaggers. Yes, trusted flaggers. And it gives them the power. It gives these fact checkers the power to, um, to flag content and have their flags be given special priority so that when national governments say that they must remove illegal content, then the providers, the Googles, the Apples have to take it down. And even the Amazons. Does anyone have a book on Amazon that might be considered to be discriminatory 
maybe uh, hate speech, uh, things like that. So this is a this is a major tool of censorship, and they hide behind these words like disinformation as if it was somehow clear as to what that means. But what yeah, we know, and, yeah, go ahead, uh, Greg. I, I keep. I, I thank you for all you're doing. Uh, you keep saying things that are like, oh, I got I got a web page that said what you said. And I would keep, but you're way ahead of me, which is fine. But I felt like here I really wanted to interrupt because do you recognize this D E L O I T T E? I don't know how to pronounce it. Deloitte. Yeah. Deloitte. Uh, yeah. They're, they're an accounting uh, organization that's huge into biometric ID. Yeah. One of the, I believe they belong to the WEF. They, you know, they're one of these entities that globally work to support, you know, the globalist agenda. They look at that rules for external audit under EU's Digital Services Act. I believe they're hiring, if I'm reading this correctly, organizations such as Deloitte, however you said that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if McKinsey and Company is also going to be employed. All of these giant entities are now going to be making billions of dollars, um, facilitating all of this behind the scenes with these massive contracts that we have seen them do. So I, you know, all of this, it's just the massive network of businesses and it's almost like the leech organizations as it were you know that jump on the bandwagon and once you get the system in place and so many entities making so much money then it makes it even harder to turn that around but so thank you go on yeah oh i'm glad you point that out deloitte they are so on my radar because (laughs) they the the way that they are pushing biometric id is insidious that is their plan uh, and I would love for James Rogowski to talk more about the bigger agenda of what is happening here, because it is about it's about sovereignty and it is about our our rights. And uh, what's well, happening? You, yeah, you, go ahead. You, you've you've opened up Pandora's box. Pushing my button to get me started is not the hard part. Shut me up is the hard part. Um, <laughs> Do it. <laughs> if if uh, I'll put a challenge to the viewers out there with the image that you talked about with the um, beard growing cream. There is, uh, there are photos of me with a big old gray Moses beard out on the internet. So see if you can find it. Um, we'll use it. We'll use it in the advertising campaign. But um, what you're talking about um, is what I think is good old fashioned fascism. Fascism is the cooperation between government and corporations to beat up on the little people. But I think it, in in the WHO world, it's gotten a 21st century upgrade because it's been given a third leg, which has made it incredibly stable. In in the WHO world, it's really difficult for people to get any kind of input. I can't tell you how many emails I've sent to you know people at the WHO, and you just get crickets, you know, no answer, like you don't even exist. But if you're a relevant stakeholder, which you know kind of loosely translates to donor, then you get a seat at the table. And they have a list of about 400 of them. And so one of the things that I wanted to mention that you said earlier, um, just to bring this down into like how I see my own personal life, right? The, the way they write this language is hypnotic. Mm-hmm. You start reading it and they have certain phrases that they use in, in the WHO world. It's, um, oh, no one is safe until everyone is safe. Or mm-hmm. we need a whole of government, whole of society, one health approach. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we got to implement uh, pandemic prevention, preparedness, recovery and response. 
and, and you read one paragraph and it's got a mix of those words and, and another paragraph and, and at, at soon you're, you're falling asleep and you, you can't really even read it. I've encouraged people to just take one paragraph at a time, read it, walk away, think about it a little bit, come back, read it again, and then think about how you would interpret it if you put on your evil overlord, you know, fascist control, you know, dictator glasses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, blah, you know, how could I take that same language and abuse people for my own benefit? Right. And, and so that, um, you know, my personal experience, the way I got to where I am, uh, you know, for quite some time, I had many, many um, websites. And in the 2020 to 2022 period, I had six websites totally dedicated to COVID. I was way down that rabbit hole. And I woke up one morning in February of last year, I had an email from my web hosting provider. And they said, bye-bye. It's all gone. And I said, what I do? Oh, terms of service. It's the only answer I ever got. And I, I, I took it as a sign that it was time for me to, you know, have my own personal great reset. Um, but that's when I ended up uh, on, on Substack and I fell down the WHO -O rabbit hole. So please don't think that it won't happen to you. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm yeah. living proof. I'm, I'm not a victim, right? It was, you know, they took the action that they wanted to take because they're they could. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna age or, or date my age. You know, people know how old I am. There used to be a, a character. I think it was Lily Tomlin, and she used to play on uh, Laughing. And you know, she did this thing with a switchboard, old telephone switchboard. And 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 the shtick that I remember, maybe I'm getting it wrong, was Hey, we're the phone company. You know, we don't care. We don't have to. And and so when you're Google or Facebook or Twitter or whomever, you know, on down the road with all the small ones, they're playing with the big boys. They're they're in a fascist relationship with governments and pseudo government agencies around the world. And if they want to squash you like a bug, you know, then they're just going to put it in the food because they have the power to, you know, be very, very, very abusive. And we have to be incredibly creative to realize that that's what they're doing. Now, with what I've been focusing on, it's it's really interesting how you can lose authority and hand it over. And what happened with the WHO many, many years ago in 1948, when the United States joined, the Congress passed a joint resolution and they said, well, we're gonna join the WHO and we're gonna let the president choose the delegate. And I wasn't alive in 1948 and, and nobody there seemed to think that 75 years later, that decision would come back to haunt us. You know, mm -hmm. what that means is the delegate can go to Geneva and make a decision much like the delegates went to the EU parliament, I imagine, and made decisions about this legislation, you empower someone else to make decisions for you. And then you don't keep them, you know, they're not safe and accountable to anybody. Let's put it that way. And, and so what happened with the WHO is these delegates can go to Geneva, make decisions, and 
it's it's totally separate from the will of the people you don't you don't get to vote for the people in the bureaucracy who are going to be implementing this digital control mechanism you don't get to vote for the delegate who's making these decisions about you know international health policies what you, what you have to hold on to is well it's it's my responsibility for my health and and some people in geneva are going to be making rules that hospital administrators are obligated to follow i mean the parallels are very similar <laughs> you're trying to fight your doctor or your hospital but it's all coming down from this centralized authority whether it's you know digital um control or or health policy control or whatever it might be and they're trying to do it again with what they call their pandemic treaty i refuse to call it that and mm -hmm. it maybe is nitpicking but they originally said that they wanted to create a framework really? convention and the analogy i'd like to give is if somebody uh, said to you hey it's it's december would you mind if i um, gave you a christmas tree and and i'll decorate it for you right but they're they're working on language for this quote unquote treaty slash framework convention but chapter three if, if anybody wants to go and read the um, newest draft they just put it um it, it just came out just came out today i got an advanced copy last week sometime and so i know what's in it and and in chapter three they would create a conference of the parties maybe you've heard COP 27, COP 28 with there it is. climate change. Conference of the parties. That's where the sovereignty issue comes in. And, and oh, it's, it's this slow creeping slow beast creep. that takes over. And so what that is, is whoever nations, whatever nations decide to be a party, right? They have a conference, you know, maybe once a year or whatever. Well, as um, observers to the conference of the nation parties that are, are participating in the treaty, all of the relevant stakeholders could apply to be um, observers and get a seat at the table. Well, they also have an Article 19 that they all can donate to the fund that's going to make this all happen. They want, mm -hmm. you know, they want society to donate. And so the, the third part of the fascist triad now is not just government and um, industry or, or, or corporations, but all of these foundations and NGOs and nonprofits, they, they cycle the money through. You, you, um, they, don't, they donate money and, and the contracts go out to companies that they've got investments in. And, and the people, they've, they've figured out how to get away from any kind of control that the people might have on how government spends money and what that money ends up being in terms of policy. But the worst part of the whole darn thing is there's a um, article, uh, I believe it's 34, but my, they've switched all the numbers around, so forgive me if I'm, I'm wrong on that. But they can make um, protocols. And if they adopt the protocols, there's no way out. So it's like if you had a, a you know, bare Christmas tree and somebody comes in and is putting the most god-awful you know, decorations on that tree, you agreed to the tree and you agree to let them decorate it. So if you agree to a, a DSA, if you agree to a treaty or amendments or whatever, um, who gets put in charge and you know WHO gets put in charge 
of implementing and overseeing it. And by that time, everybody's just, you know, busy living life and not paying attention. Yeah. Um, where, where does the constitution come in all of this? Cause we keep hearing um, that any law that violates the constitution is invalid. You don't have to follow it. I mean, does the constitution theoretically protect us when people are, are giving away our rights to freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of, to pursue happiness and you know, all of that. This is where I get to be blasphemous. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, trust that the founding fathers did the very best that they could, but it would have been really good if they had a clause or maybe we need an amendment that says, well, if Congress passes any law, right, um, it either needs to also go to a vote or it needs to go through judicial review to ensure that it actually is not abhorrent to the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. The problem is there are so many laws that are obviously in violation of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, but they get enacted so they're legal, even though they're an abomination. And, and so until life goes on and somebody is harmed so egregiously, obviously badly, and is able to have the financial resources to challenge a clearly unconstitutional law, take it all the way up to the Supreme Court where maybe you have a, a good court that looks at it and goes, oh no, we have to strike that down. How many people get harmed along the way? And so uh, a little persnickety detail. Okay. Um, one, of the, one of the amendments that Russia um, put forth for the proposed amendments to the regulations, not the treaty, is that if the amendments are adopted, Russia's proposed amendment to Article 4 says that the national governments are obligated to enact legislation that gives this office that every nation has connected to the WHO in their own government, but nobody knows about it, the National International Health Regulations Focal Point Office, the legislation would have to authorize and empower that office to um, in, in, uh, implement and enforce whatever they need to do to abide by the obligations in the agreement. And so they have it set up so that we, in our own government, would have to enact legislation that could easily be unconstitutional and abuse people for a longest period of time until somebody is able to stop it. And that's what's been happening for decades. So, James, what's the um, what's the date for like voting on this? They, it keeps being, you know, new language proposed. Is there a date set where they're going to vote on this? There's there's three things going on. And okay. so just to make it confusing, last year on May 27th, 2022, they don't really vote the way you think voting happens. What mm. they do is they work deals in the back room and they know that everybody's on board, they reach consensus, which means there are no objections. And then they come into the public domain and they go, does anybody object? Okay, great, we're good, boom, right? There's um, no like roll call voting. Okay. So they adopted amendments last year and there's a 12, I'm sorry, there's an 18 month period where every nation could just write a letter to the WHO and go, nope, we reject that. 
Article 61 gives us that power. There's been 12 months and not a single word about what was adopted last year. Every nation could just write a letter and reject them. And so the ones that are being discussed now, many, many more, 307 amendments, uh, are scheduled to be finished up and submitted uh, four months in advance of next year's meeting at the end of May. So they have to submit those by mid-January. And they have kept those under lock and key. They gave us the initial um, proposals, but since September 30th, when they were formally required to be submitted, there has been no um, version two or an edited version or a, a new draft. That is like super secret. So that's what I'm worried about. That would be potentially um, considered for adoption in 2024. And the um, document that I refer to as the framework convention, they've had a number of different versions and I think they're fighting amongst themselves, but it's on the same timeline. Okay. But, but with the amendments, the, the power for the people to have any say was given away in 1948. And with the treaty, there's a clause in the framework convention that says uh, it could be immediately enacted just with the signature, maybe by an ambassador or secretary of state on a provisional basis. Don't, don't even think that the Senate is going to save us on this one because they rejected uh, an amendment to a, another piece of legislation put forth by Ron Johnson, which simply said, if they have a treaty, then the Senate has to weigh in on it. And they wiped it out by 49 to 47. I think every all 49 of those senators have violated their oath of office. That's a fundamental job is for the Senate to weigh in on with their advice and consent on an international agreement. But you know, when the administration wants these things, um, we're living in a dictatorial regime where we've given up power through the years Mm -hmm. And we've got a lot of work to do to fix it. So I think it becomes okay. especially difficult on certain issues where there's just a wide consensus in favor of something. And public health has always been one of those issues where the authorities just they love to give carte blanche authority to public health organizations, to public health agencies. We've seen that all throughout the states. And this and I'm concerned that this this DSA follows the same trend. This idea of um, the fear of hackers. You know how public health actually uses the same word virus as yeah, yeah. do for computers, a computer right. virus, a health virus. Right. I, you know, you got to wonder like how much that, that sort of thing is an accident. But I think that the idea is that these mega organizations are creating fear and they and then they come in to solve the fear and to solve the you know the problem and offer solutions right. and then they push it through uh congress at the right time to get to get approval so i wanted to point out on this particular page about from the eu from that um act page exactly what that dsa will and so this is what i find so concerning so it impacts intermediary services offering network infrastructure internet access providers, don domain name registrars, hosting services such as cloud computing and web hosting services, 
Yeah. Very large online search engines with more than 10% of the 450 million consumers in the EU uh, and therefore more responsibility in curbing illegal content online. Online platforms bringing together sellers and consumers such as online marketplaces, app stores, collaborative economy platforms and social media platforms. And then, of course, your very large platforms. And that's what um, the head of all this, who calls himself the enforcer, is going to California this month to stress test if the big companies, the big social media companies are ready for this to become law on August 25th. But when you look at that list there, it means anybody who has a presence on the internet anywhere, they potentially will be able to shut you up and take you down. You know, we, uh, James, you already experienced that without this even being in place. They just said it was their own, um, what it, their own they, they didn't even bother to say, they don't need a reason. They, they don't just, need a reason, they just took you down. But now, the, the thing, um, did you read a little bit in there? I don't if you can explain more than I can, but I know that this, this act says that as of August 25th, if you are not in compliance, that you are breaking the law and it, the penalty can be 6% of your revenue. That's for the top. The for top, the top. Like the, right? the Googles and the Amazons, the, they're, they, they're due for compliance. That's right, 6% of their revenue. Right. Um, which gives them a huge incentive to, you know, comply. If, if, yeah. to comply. If there's any questions while doing this stress testing that you described, Bernadette, yeah. um, you know, do you think Google is going to side with the Constitution or with 6% of profits? Yeah. You know, it, we, we already know where their alliances are. Yeah. And so um, I think that Google will do what they are allowed to do under this under this act, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the blogger, the blogging sites and just general news information sites, like even, even independent media, a lot of them run on technology by these mega, uh, groups. Like for example, if you have your, your developer build a website, mm-hmm. it probably integrates Google technology. Mm-hmm. And so there's, and people have noticed that with Apple as well. They, and, they Am- and Amazon Apple. services is everywhere. Amazon services, like hosting providers. And so uh, what we're seeing with this DSA is that on every level of information sharing, the EU has come in and inserted itself as Mm -hmm. a provider of standards, as an enforcer of those standards, Mm -hmm. and as a incentive uh, regulator as well. And in those functions, it's able to manipulate content. And so let me give an example. Uh, sale of data. Probably you think that your words are your own. <laughs> That's not that you use view. They think that it's all public. It's all public information, that it's public data, that you're, that when you go onto the internet and you maybe buy a book from Amazon, that's no longer yours. Like you, you have interacted with the public in such a way that that data is now public data, it could be sold. And what you find, and I've learned this from studying privacy laws in America, uh, it's pretty sad. Um, these privacy laws in many times are designed, in many ways are designed to actually take away our privacy, to enshrine the very tools that mega corporations use to sell our data, 
traffic in it. It just legalizes what would otherwise be illegal under the Fourth, fourth Amendment. It just it limits the Fourth Amendment. It's the same thing we're seeing with with this EU. What let me so the, in this example that I'm highlighting, um, access is given to researchers for these this key data. So researchers and companies who are, who are wealthy enough to pay will come in, gain access to your data. And then from there, they just ship it around and sell it, manipulate it. And data is king in the AI world. You know, the AI feeds on data. And so what this EU law does is it gives researchers access to the data. These are American companies, Google, Apple, Amazon. That's their proprietary data that's yours. And, they, and they've been following U.S. law to actually protect you from the EU. Surprisingly, and the, these companies are not saints, but they've done some helpful stuff. And and the parallels are are amazing. Um, in the proposed framework convention, Article eighteen is essentially censorship. And so they talk about um, strengthening science, right? The WHO would strengthen science, which I personally think you know you're going to have to go work out with Mr. Fauci. And they also talk about tackling science himself. <laughs> got to strengthen it, right? It's getting a little weak. Um, yeah. But they also talk about tackling myths and disinformation. So they want to implement, you know, an international agreement to have the WHO be the arbiter of all truth in medicine. And and so that whole idea of having a centralized authority who says, you know, this, the, these are the only bits of information that people are allowed to say. Talk about, you know, the fact checker of all fact checkers. If the WHO were to say, you know, that's not acceptable, that's illegal content or that's misinformation, they want to be set up through this international agreement uh, as the end-all be-all for all things health-related. And go right ahead. And this comes into the question of so I remember a couple of a couple of years ago that, that there was a lot of talk of Trump withdrawing from the WHO through an executive action. Is there any sort of regulation or rule where Congress can basically say we withdraw from the WHO completely? Well, that's um, you know that is my apparent um, reason for being these days. Um, uh, <laughs> there's there's actually um, an action that people can take if you go to silenceequalsconsent.com. And it's not the equal sign. You spell out the word silence equals consent.com. Uh, and don't search for it because your search engine is not your friend and they won't show it to you. You got to just type it into the URL part at the top of your browser. Uh, the um, U.S. government, for whatever you want to believe about them, the Office of Global Affairs in the Health and Human Services Department has scheduled two listening sessions. Most people would say it's a public comment period. The deadline for that is uh, the 9th of June. And so everyone can submit uh, an email to them requesting an opportunity to speak. And they have two separate ones, one for the treaty, one for the uh, um, amendments. And, and so to answer your question directly, uh, I've been telling everybody I possibly can that if you're in a relationship and it's, or, or someone you know is in a relationship and it has turned to be abusive, imagine if the abuser was trying to get legally binding authority over your life or that uh, the abused person's life. Would you attempt to negotiate for better terms? Would you advise them to do that? Or would you say, get out of there? 
And so the direct answer to your question is the um, piece of legislation that got us into the WHO, thankfully has a, a couple of, of sections where it says very clearly, number one, anything the WHO says or does does not obligate us to do anything. And you know, thank you for putting that in there because that set them up as an advisory organization. They, they literally, I mean, this is 1984 Newspeak, they literally have had proposals from Bangladesh to change the definition of the word recommendation. Uh, you can ask a high school kid, probably, I hope, uh, you know, if you had something that was non-binding advice, you know, would the word recommendation come to mind, right? That's what it is. They want to cross out non-binding and make recommendations a legal obligation. They said back in July, they want all of this to be legally binding. And so the answer is, um, and Andy Biggs in Arizona put forth HR 79. And mm -hmm. anybody who wants to learn about that, it, you can actually read it. It's not one of these, you know, 2000 page bills that they show yeah. up at the end of the day. It's, it's about three paragraphs. It's we give them the one year notice that we're obligated to give based on our agreement when we, when we joined. Stop giving them money mm -hmm. and repeal the legislation when we joined. That's it. That's it. I mean, Simple. I think I did it in about 45 seconds. And, and so if you go to exit the who.com, uh, all the information is there. At the moment, we have about 10% of Congress on board with nice. it. And it's, it's going to be damn, darn near impossible um, to actually have that legislation passed. The idea is to spread the word, let everybody know, number one, wait a minute, they, they um, adopted amendments last year. How come nobody's talking about it? And so there have been petitions in Canada and the United Kingdom and Australia because they actually have a official, an official petition system for their parliaments. Somehow, some way, the United States does not have anywhere on any website the means to petition Congress. Other nations, you know, put forth a petition, get signatures, and it requires their parliament to take action. Somebody forgot to read the entire First Amendment. We have the right to petition for a redress of grievances, but there's no system. And, and so on, on ExitTheWho.com, you can scroll down and you don't need to do it now, but there's all kinds of ways that you can reach out to Congress and say, we want out. And it's likely, I hope, if I have my way, it's going to be an issue in the upcoming elections. There's 18 months until we pick new people to replace the ones who aren't doing their jobs. And uh, the hope is come 2025, um, we're out of here. It's uh, the, the WHO ask you a really simple question. What has the WHO done for you recently? And if you look into them, what have they done to people around the world that you don't necessarily hear about? What have they done to, um, you know, young women in Kenya? What have they done, you know, all over the place mm -hmm. uh, with the money that they spend? You know, they spend so much money on salaries. They spend twice as much paying their own people than they do on medical um, equipment and, and, and you know, devices and, and, and drugs and things. And, it's and so wherever those people go, there's just pain and suffering in their wake. You know, they go, they vaccinate, and then all of a sudden there's paralysis. 
And, you know, and they, they go and dump a bunch of GMOs in a particular yeah. area and then there's poverty. It's just one thing after the next. Yeah. So gentlemen, we have about five more minutes. Um, and so I want to give people a little bit the heads up. So James, I love that you lay out that there actually is a path toward escaping what the who is doing. So let's, that's exciting. Everybody, you know, let's get on board and try to get energy that way. Far-fetched as it is, I believe that, you know, we need to try. What about this European Digital Services Act? And, and I mentioned at the beginning of this program, Greg, that you had a unique take on it. So I have two questions. Sure. Uh, first, will you please explain why you think it might be a good thing um, that everybody flees from these platforms anyway? Although, mm -hmm. like, it, it, it might be really kind of concerning because it's like my this very program and Informed Choice Washington and Children's Health Defense, I mean, the servers, the EU is going to eventually make them not be host. So I'm not sure how to get around that. Um, so what can we do to escape the reach of this yeah. European law? Yeah, it's what, what this law is doing is it's forcing us to become fiercely independent, to join the parallel economy. We're going to have to start building websites. You know, we're going to have to start supporting the independent producers who and their independent producers all over the country and the world who are begging for business, who, who want to do the work. And, and even though it's really convenient for us to go to Amazon and use Amazon and Google, at some point, we just have to cut the cord. You know? And the reason why these, these uh, terrible laws can somehow be helpful is that they're their own worst enemy. You know, they, they sabotage themselves like they're they're going to censor so much that they're going to look fake and lame and, and and people will get it, you know, and they'll say, oh, yeah, this is, you know, this is where you go for censorship. I'm going to go elsewhere. And mm -hmm. and so that process kind of needs to happen. It's like it's like Target. Right. People like me have been blowing the whistle on Target for carrying toxic stuff for ages, you know. Mm -hmm. I, for over 10 years, I've been saying, hey, Target's terrible. Look at all this stuff they have on the shelves. This is toxic. And yet it took an event, like some satanic pedophile stuff before people were like, oh, now I'll stop shopping at Target. It's like, great. All right, fine. If, if, if that's what it takes, then that's what it takes. And so on some level, Target's craziness was, was helpful. Like it was its own worst enemy. It destroyed itself. This is the popcorn analogy. You know, at some point you just sit back and just eat popcorn and watch your enemy destroy itself. Right. Well, you, but but Greg, we can't just sit back because as as they destroy themselves, we're going to go through some pretty crazy times as we reinvent ourselves, as we create these little micro businesses, these new channels around, you know, as we do our own heart bypasses as exactly. are, right. And so we're going to need our own version of the Pony Express. You know, so now is the time to get excited about building the parallel setup because beginning August 25th and beyond, we're going to really, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And then if you try to tune in one day to this show and you can't find it, well, gosh, something must have happened. But, you know, I think the four of us here are pretty tenacious and, you know, multiply us by a few billion. I think there's a lot of us on this planet that believe in humanity and freedom and, and we can do this. But by gum, we're going to really have to start kicking it into high gear. The hardest part, I think, and and uh, why what they're doing is is so difficult is because they they cut down their ability to communicate with each other. 
And that's what I think the first thing we need to make sure that we have parallel, safe communication avenues. I see James smiling. So um, do you have a, a last that's, 30 seconds, James, and last 30 seconds, Greg? That's, that's why I always give everybody my phone number. Um, Y'all can call me at 310-619-3055. Of course, they're listening to our conversation, but humans getting in touch with humans is what has, you know, all our relationships have been shattered. We need to make human to human connections and build a network within all of this craziness. Yes. Because, you know, it's it's your friends and, and people that you trust and trust you that will get you through hard times. Exactly. And Greg? Yes. I'd like to say, if you would like to purchase my beard growing cream, you can find it. <laughs> um, I, I, uh, AI is the elephant in the room. They're going to use this EU law to use their AI to move in comments and other things and yeah. force their woke agenda on the people. And so what James said is so true. We need to have human, connections. human connection again. Well, greggglazer.com, jamesroguskysubstack.com, and Javier and Bernadette will be back after the break. Gentlemen, thank you all so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. We're going to take a few-minute break. You've been listening to an Informed Life Radio, 1150 AM, KKNW. We'll be back. If you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than The Flame Paper. The Flame Paper is written for the people, by the people, who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it health care, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, Inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. We need a revolution. There's only one solution. I need somebody to show me, somebody to show me the love. We need a revolution. 
Welcome back to an informed live radio on 1150 AM KKNW and streaming to CHD TV. With me for the second hour is Dr. Javier Figueroa. Dr. X is in the house. Hello. Well, what did you think about that first hour? Powerful, <laughs> incredibly powerful, and just so informative. Yeah, there, there's a lot coming our way. Uh, holy cow. And yep. Um, I, I was encouraged that James, uh, I can never say his name quickly. Rogowski, Roguski, 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 James the man, um, that there is potentially a way forward. If we get the right political will in Congress, um, then we can pull out of the who and, um, disentangle ourselves from the nonsense they're attempting to do. So that's exciting. This this European uh, Digital Services Act seems like it's much more um, difficult to remove ourselves from because we're Correct. not actually in it. They created a European law. And because people in Europe and member nations, these big businesses and these platforms have global reach. Correct. Um, so what, you know, I still don't understand what that means. And I know that the big players were notified in April and that gave them four months. So that was August 25th is the deadline where it becomes law that they, among all these other things they are supposed to do, they are supposed to have things in place to prevent the spread of disinformation, the undefined. But if it's defined as it's been the past three years, we know what that means. Correct. The past five years. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so goodness knows what's going to happen. It's, it's going to get crazy people. But, Correct. You know. <laughs> and the one thing to remember is that because the EU represents such a large population base that is, has connections to the internet and to all these market uh, places, mm -hmm. when you have a, when you have a company like Amazon, Google, Apple, they will do their very best to comply with the rules and trying to comply with 17 different rules. Mm-hmm. You know, basically, whatever is going to supersede all of them, that's what they will go to because it's going to be the lowest hanging fruit that's going to cost them the least amount. Yeah. Yeah. So it's both stick and carrot. So if the EU says we're going to enact this rules, mm -hmm. they're going to put pressure in the United States that the rules are going to be exactly the same. So that way, everything's on, a, on the same le level playing field for yeah. them, not for us. Yeah. Well, Javier, you and I are going to have to bring this subject up again frequently as we move yes. forward, as we learn more and understand the impact. And that that the Friday after, I don't know what day of the week, August 25th is, but the next Friday, we'll see if there's any difference between yeah. what we're doing and, and what's going on. But you know what, people, let's just stay in touch, find ways, get people's cell numbers, get your neighbor's cell phone number, um, get your ham radio license. I mean, let's, let's just prepare because if we can't communicate, that's really how they want to hobble us. And we want to be able to, to communicate, you know, and, and maybe, maybe I'm thinking it's going to be bigger than it is, but I don't know when you, when you read what they're doing, it's like, it's, you can't, whoa. you have to take them very seriously. They, what they write in their laws and in their regulations is exactly what they want to do. Yeah. And again, uh, what what uh, what Greg basically said is, you know, take them at their word. Mm -hmm. They want to ensure that if you say something they don't agree with, they can stop you. If you don't comply, you do not get to work or live. Right. And, you know, 
it's going to be a bottom up solution. They've right. got a top down problem. So all of these entities that right now happily take your money to host your website, to send you email, be your, your email platform, all of these, any digital platform basically is fair game under their act. Correct. Um, they're going to be pressured and penalized if they don't follow this act. Mm -hmm. So it's going to take the bottom up, the grassroots pressure of us going around and creating new systems in order to break this open. So Correct. it's really going to take that individual, um, you know, it's a good thing we've been practicing this grassroots effort. <laughs> Time to kick it into into high gear. So um, Javier, this this next hour, I've been moving toward, I haven't completely accomplished it, but, but trying to do a better job of the second hour, really honoring our folks out there in the Pacific Northwest, the wonderful members of um, Enforced Choice Washington. They pay to have this program be on the air. Exactly. So I want to try to do a better job of bringing news that's close to home to the Pacific Northwest and celebrate kind of what we're doing. And so I do want to encourage listeners too, if you're in the Pacific Northwest, so if you're in Washington, Oregon, Idaho, and, and that region, um, and especially in Washington, and you've got great events coming up that you, you want us to, you know, tell people about that on the air, send them to us. Um, it's just radio at informedchoicewa.org. Um, and, you know, if you've got issues or concerns or meetings or whatever, just uh, feel free to send us news that you feel like you would like the larger community to know about, because that's how we're going to support each other. So I've got I've got two things, um, Javier, this hour that impact everybody in the nation, but we've got local um, involvement on. So the first one I wanted to talk to you about is: Have you heard of that? Um, have you heard of the film Shot in the Arm? No, I haven't. Okay. So I know you're a busy working uh, man and a dad. And so a lot of this doesn't always reach you. But there, there's this supposedly sort of documentary style film called Shot in the Arm. And one of the producers is Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's a very famous scientist, I guess, who's kind of, you know, known um, I don't really know much about a celebrity. Sounds like you've heard of him before. Yes. Um, and I just know him through the, I've heard the name and then I know this was out and then the high wire though, um, featured it, yes. but this, this here where you see immunity community, <laughs> <laughs> and then they also call instead of herd immunity, they call it community immunity. And, you know, it's just kind of ridiculous. It's, you know, they say that about products, uh, vaccine and other injectable products that actually cannot create herd immunity or right. prevent, tr or transmission, prevent transmission. transmission. Right. They've coined this phrase, but this within reach um, is in Washington state and supposed nonprofit, but they work with the immunization action coalition, which is a national organization that's um, funded by pharma funded by the CDC, the CDC foundation, and they put out a lot of materials um, that are shared through it. You know, there's this massive network of tens of thousands yeah. of nonprofits that yeah. promote vaccination. And they all kind of feed back and are entangled at the same. I mean, if somebody ever did like this big wall of entanglement, it's massive. I try to put them on a, 
a, a spreadsheet once in order to be able to show it visually, but you couldn't, the, the yeah. font, my, my computer wouldn't go lower than like a four point font and you still couldn't fit them all on there. So um, anyway, there, they have upcoming a uh, screening um, via Zoom of the shot in the arm documentary. And this is with the Washington State Department of Health and within reach. Um, and so I encourage individuals to um, sign up for this community viewing and there's going to be a QA and a <laughs> afterward. And it's interesting because this, this film, Javier, it gives snippets of, of Del Victory saying, you know, things we agree with. And it shows Robert F. Kennedy Jr. saying things we agree with. It presents itself as something that's showing both sides, but then it will show um, images of children that are just covered in a rash and talk about how dangerous measles is and people will die and, and the dangers of anti-vaccine um, movement, you know, sort of thing. It becomes very inflammatory. Um, anyway, so I encourage people to join that. Um, I think you can find it. Well, just, if you go to within reach, you will find it. I, I think it's withinreach.com or .org. And then there's a website here. If you email us, we'll be posting this on our Substack page coming up. It's going to be June 14th. Uh, Shot in the arm within reach, Washington State Department of Health. But then I also wanted people to know that you can um, go to the high wire um, and search for Shot in the Arm and Neil deGrasse Tyson and watch Dell interview him. That um, was, that was, I'm sorry, I have to say, that was an embarrassing interview. Oh, you did uh, see it. On, okay. on behalf of not only, not only, on, not only on Dell's show, but also on uh, Patrick but David's Valuetainment show. And oh. Valuetainment has a, you know, has a big, big reach, I think bigger than Dell's. And, you know, Patrick, but David pushed on, on, um, uh, Tyson and basically, you know, highlighted all the deficiencies and, you know, uh, Tyson basically went back to the old tropes of, well, you know, we all needed to get vaccinated in order to protect everyone, blah, 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 blah. And he brought up, well, doesn't stop transmissions, doesn't stop uh, infection, uh, has a, a large adverse events. And basically Tyson was defending the decision saying we didn't know at the time all the all these bad side effects but mm -hmm. we still to do it and he's still pushing it even though he knows it doesn't stop transmission or infection and he knows yeah. that there's adverse events so he's two-faced he's being a bad mm -hmm. scientist and he's being a bad uh citizen yeah exactly there and i feel like for a lot of people we're in a couple of stages with some individuals it seems like with neil no i don't know what pressure he's feeling from the outside to stick to this story and to continue to press. Is it ego? Is it, is it pharma pressure? Is it fear for his life? What is it keeping him there? I don't want to judge his soul or his reasons. Yeah. All we know is what we see, right? Exactly. And um, I just saw the comment section right there on, on, on the yeah. debate. Yeah. <laughs> and again, he's a smart man. He's an astrophysicist, but he has zero knowledge of biology or epidemiology or regulatory affairs or even environmental health and, and uh, industrial hygiene. He has no idea what he's talking about. Yeah. And, and Javier, he, with the interview with Del Victory, he keeps defending the consensus. Like the, if most of the scientists agree on something, that's what we have to go with. But what he fails to absolutely acknowledge 
I mean, there might be some room in a perfect world where people are actually don't have, you know, nefarious motives, you know, a room for consensus to a certain degree in some areas. However, he doesn't consider the fact that all of the science is done by vested interest who who design studies to outcome, who hide inappropriate um, inconvenient data, who commit fraud with their studies. And, and, you know, it goes on and on and on. So how can you have a consensus on corrupt science? You can't. That's the you whole can't. thing. It, that's right. that's yeah. you, you. You nailed it on the head. And again, uh, this is someone who um, has been steeped in the school of you can't let the crazies have a win. Yeah. Which is exactly the mindset. Unfortunately, I've seen this mindset too many times in uh, alternative or at least um, different par uh, paradigm changing uh, uh, forces in science. They don't want to have any conversation with anyone that might actually upset the apple cart. Tyson's mm -hmm. being brought out because the apple cart's already been tilted. He's mm -hmm. just trying to grab legitimacy and saying, let's all have a kumbaya moment here. Mm -hmm. The apple cart's been turned over right now. Mm -hmm. And Dell's basically saying, okay, what's, I'm, I'm willing to listen to you. You're part of yeah. the consensus in the mainstream. Yeah. You tell us what you're going to, you're going to say. And it's been an embarrassment all along to the point where he has to actually retreat back to immunity community yeah. and basically go into, to, to sing to the choir. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they're going to be utilizing this as a tool, you know, because they're really frightened now that, you know, they're going to be pushing for stricter uh, uh, vaccine laws, uh, trying to pull away exemptions and, and do the whole thing. Cause they really know that the whole narrative is crumbling. And what I am really excited Javier about seeing crumble is the artificial tinfoil hats that have been placed on our heads. So for decades, anybody critical of, of vaccine mandates, vaccine science, the vaccine industry, regulatory agencies, the marketing, the social engineering marketing campaigns have been to call us crazy and to defame and undermine and attack anybody who dares st step up. You know, it happened to all of us. Um, the one man who exemplifies this is, of course, Dr. Andrew Wakefield, who I'm very proud to say was my very first guest on an Informed Life radio. Oh, so many years ago when this first started, he was my first guest. Um, I saw today, though, if uh, people later on go to uh, CHGTV and, and one of the most recent videos, it's only like 20 some minutes. It's Dr. Andrew Wakefield talking to Elon Musk thanking him for a free speech platform, um, telling him he understands why his fact checkers recently came back with things that weren't actually factual because what they were reading is, is what has been saturated in the world about what happened to him. Then he goes and he goes through the whole, you know, in a very, he summarizes what happened to him, how he was attacked and about the journalists and the lies that were be told and the forces at play. Um, and then he invited Elon Musk to call him. Let's have a conversation. Can you talk about this with me? And I and the potential then, the potential for the world to understand what happened to Dr. Andrew Wakefield and what happened to Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and what happened to Dr. Paul Merrick and Pierre Corey and Peter McCullough and so many of the doctors and the nurses and the parents 
to Bernadette, I dare say, Javier, you're being caught up in this net, to be Wakefield, it is now, I consider it a badge of honor. If they're trying to call you crazy and just, <laughs> but here we have this possibility of somebody like Elon Musk, who is in a position of power, who stands for free speech, and really seems to be wanting to honor that, he may be able to accomplish something that would be brilliant in really, you know, so I encourage everybody, please um, go find that video um, or go find it probably on Twitter and share it and ask politely, respectfully, please, Elon Musk, go down the rabbit hole on Andy Wakefield. And it's not, it's not just for Andy. In fact, it's not for Andy at all, really, because this man is so kind and he's so humble and he will back out of events rather than have the reputation thrust upon him, potentially ruin the event with people attacking it more than they would. So, right. He is amazing. It's not about him, but what was done to him, Javier has to it stop. It was awful. It has it, to stop. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have something you wanted to share? It, well, one of the things that we have to be careful about is uh, one one concern that I have. My apologies at the silence my phone here. Okay. Um, one, one concern that I have is that uh, Elon Musk has been doing enough and saying the right things to position himself as a uh, free speech advocate while putting in, in positions of power people that are vehemently against that. So yes. you have to be very careful. I, I, I hope and I, and I pray that uh, Andy, uh, sorry, Dr. Wakefield yes. will, be, uh, will, be, will be successful in having that conversation with uh, Elon Musk because that would change the world. It, it would. And I agree with you. And I wouldn't mind sharing in this moment because this is what real dialogue is about. Exactly. We can like praise what we've witnessed that, that seems to support Elon Musk as being free, free speech advocate while also showing our concerns about the woman that he just put to run exactly. Twitter, who is part of the World Economic Forum. Right. So, yes, it is a concern. One of the and it's, it goes back to sort of like our guest the first hour, uh, James was talking about, is when you read some of these WHO treaties and stuff, everything's in wrapped up in beautiful language. Exactly. And yes, I'm a Pollyanna. I try to believe the best in people. And, you know, a lot of the things that are out there, I do believe that some people believe the fake packaging and something wakes them up. And so I'm reserving judgment that the woman that he brought on board, because like, let's look at some of the top people in the medical freedom movement today. They began all of this with getting the COVID shot and telling their patients to get the COVID shot. Not all of them, but a good number of them. Mm -hmm. um, a good number of them before COVID thought that we were tinfoil hatters. And now they're exactly. like, holy moly, I wish I'd listened to you, right? Right. So I do believe that some people are able to change. It's very difficult to change. Yes, it is. Yes, but it's very difficult. It, you have to really, it takes such courage to stand up and say I was wrong. Um, and not not everybody has that. And like there was one individual um, that I met, a young woman who told here in Tennessee, and she told me that she had gotten the COVID shot to protect her elderly grandparents. So I explained to her, well, I admire you for doing what you thought was the right thing, right? That's what you were told. I said, but unfortunately, you weren't told the full, full truth about the products, about their experimental nature, blah, 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 you know, the whole thing about it. 
And even after hearing this and even after sending her information and then us later on speaking again about it after she had time to process it, she says, well, I still think I did the right thing. I, I still think that that the shot's better than not getting it at all based on everything. The cognitive dissonance, you know, and to give this, to explain this young lady, which I'm not giving her name, you know, because I'm not trying to trash anybody, but she really was one of those people that stage of life that 22 years old thinks she knows everything, <laughs> right? I'm right. You're wrong. And, you know, I had a class on that. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. You had a class on that. Yeah. So you're That's, an expert. <laughs> so. hey, you know, I, I have that conversation when, when I tell people, well, you know, I have a PhD in, in, in molecular biology. I've, I've done, I'm actually trained in environmental health. So I understand the whole environmental hygiene thing. And I've done biotechnology and immunology. You know, I've, I've done this for 20 years. They roll their eyes. It's like, well, whatever. I mean, yeah. it doesn't matter. It, it does. Really well, that's an, that's another of the, one of the social engineering campaigns, though, was exactly. trust the experts, but not if they're um, on the other side. Correct. Yep. Only trust them if um, if they're, you know, if they're vetted, if by they're someone. vetted. But if you've been Wakefielded, so you don't count. Right. No. And again, what, what they did to, to Dr. Wakefield, he never said that there was a connection between autism and vaccines. No. He basically said there seems to be a connection with uh, problems with the uh, gastrointestinal tract and the, and the uh, intestines mm -hmm. that, uh, that are associated with autism. And I think they knew exactly where that would lead. Yeah. Many of the people in the UK knew that they knew that the connection was with the, with the vaccination and yeah. it was just one step removed. So they needed to attack him right away. Yeah, exactly. And again, Dr. Wakefield is a consummate clinician. And yeah. a scientist. God bless him for that. Bless and his heart. Yeah, what a, it's such a good man. I wanted to remind viewers, especially, you know, show viewers who are new to the show, in case I haven't shown you before, but um, a few years ago, something you said triggered this, and I got to remember, I know that there's a connection to something you just said. I swear there is. <laughs> um we did this. There was a CBC Marketplace. Um, oh, I think I'm think I'm. It's having to do with the the social engineering campaigns that are out there trying to target us. I guess I think that's um, yes. What made me think of this? Um, so we have a web page. We have a video spotlight on media coverage of vaccine injury. Um, I think the easiest way to, is you go to our website and just search for CBC and then, you know, a couple pages in, you'll find it there. And I can't remember the exact, I guess I can go look at that. What is the exact, uh, oh, CBC-learn-more is there the full. Um, but what we did was CBC did a, a hit piece on uh, an event and so we went through, interspersed it with fact and science and fact and science to show everything they they said um, was a lie. So there's there's exactly. that video there, but it's it's been decades of dealing with this, and it really is such part of culture that it's very difficult. But um, and I've got a young woman that's 
that's staying with us who laughs at me every time I say the gift of COVID. <laughs> but the gift of COVID has been people have experienced their public health entities lying to them. Yes. And they've experienced the things that they were told not to believe coming from the likes of us. They experienced that we were right. Exactly. Yeah. And um, yeah. So. Well, and uh, more to the point, one of the things that we need to remember is that language is such a critical factor of it. Like, for example, the uh, shot in the arm, their tagline is disinformation is it's it's is a disease. Yeah. And what they're trying to do, and this is disinformation is its own disease. What they're trying to do is link anyone that is advocating anything but what they say as a disease carrier. Yeah. And again, it's one of those really fundamental human reactions. If you are ill or you are labeled as ill or dirty, mm -hmm. it's much easier to dehumanize you. So they're, yes. they're going back to what they knew worked before. Yeah. The problem that they're encountering, as you said, is enough people are realizing these people lied to us baldly. Now, mm -hmm. here's the thing. They didn't tell a lie. They just omitted a lot of other facts that they forgot that quote they forgot to tell or overlooked. So they have they have a they have a oh well I you know I well there were some lies. Oh yes, that's true. Right, you know um, the COVID nineteen shots are safe and effective in pregnancy. That is a flat out lie, right? So they did tell some lies and a whole lot of just leaving out facts. Exactly. And, yeah, they're there was just so much there. So you're, you're bringing up really excellent points and just, we need, you know, we're hoping that people become better consumers of information and really being able to spotlight pop, uh, um, propaganda. And, you know, we kind of do just the same as Del Bigtree does. We say, don't believe us, listen to right. us, listen to them, and then go explore. In fact, I was interviewed recently for, there was an event coming up in Washington state and there was a small newspaper that wanted a quote. And I was the only one they could get a hold of. So I'll tell you, I'll talk to you. And this journalist said to me, well, you know, Bernadette, here's the problem. Your average Jane is out there and she sees that their public health department says one thing, but you guys are saying another thing. And, you know, they're quoting the CDC. And so who are they supposed to believe? And I said, well, unfortunately, we live in an, in an era where, where you really should believe nobody. And mm -hmm. I said, we are actually citing the same sources as the CDC. But the exactly. thing is... You can't, you have to go beyond and underneath their marketing messages. And I gave her a, for instance, and I give my famous one of CDC's marketing paid vaccines don't cause autism. But if you go actually read their citation and you read their famous antigen study, that's not what it says. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it actually has the author's saying that in cases of regressive autism, we cannot rule out vaccines. There it is, point black, but nobody reads it. So I told this journalist, I said, you need to do real journalism. Don't believe me. I'm putting my own marketing messages out there. I believe everything I'm saying is true. Right. And I try very earnestly, but CDC says what they're saying is true. Washington State Department of Health says what they're saying is true. But just consider everything marketing messages. Go look at the citations. Read it very carefully. Go watch the 
FDA's Verbeck meetings. I had to tell her what FDA Verbeck meeting was. She didn't know. No. And I, I said, you have to go watch the CDC ACIP meetings, which she did not know. And then I even, and then I was giving her a reference. I said, well, you know, go, go read the information at the FLCCC doctors, the frontline critical care doctors. And she says, oh, those are the, they renamed themselves. They used to be America's frontline doctors. I said, no, these are completely separate entities. Exactly. American frontline doctors still exist. She didn't even know that. She was confusing entities. And I, and so she kept coming back to me, Bernadette, what's the average Jane to do? And I said, I'm sorry, I don't have an easy answer. It's Journalists and the average Jane have to read primary research materials. They have to learn how to read them critically to see if it was designed properly to give the conclusions that they gave. And they have to watch some of these meetings where the truth is absolutely revealed. And if they had just watched the FDA meeting, they would go, holy cow, what? Why did they vote to license it, that product? It gets very simple, very easy. Yeah, but she wasn't willing to do her homework. No, and that's the thing. It's people can choose to be slaves mm. or they can choose to be free. And mm -hmm. freedom carries a certain amount of work and responsibility exactly. that slavery does not. If you want to be a guinea pig, if you want to be a slave, you don't have to do any work except follow orders. Yeah. If you want to be free, if you want to be responsible, you have to put yourself out there every day, take on the responsibility of reading everything and acting. Mm-hmm. And if you're not willing to do that, congratulations, continue being a slave. Continue being a slave, but don't drag me into your exactly. slavehood. Yeah, I, I want to then move on to another thing, and it is tied to the Pacific Northwest. I'm trying to be good about that. It, it goes back to some of um, something that Informed Choice Washington did a few years ago, but we need to resurrect it and show people it as a resource. But we're going to start with... Um, are you able, let me see if I'm doing this right. There it is. I'm going to start with a, a, a recent Children's Health Defense Defender article. So the headline is exclusive federal government funds a $4.7, a million dollar grant led by Merck Consultant to increase HPV vaccine uptake by improving how providers announce the vaccine. So this is our federal government spending $4.7 million to teach doctors coercive language. That's, that's what it is in a nutshell. And, and they're paying a Merck consultant. So if you go on and read this, you know, it's an excellent article, all, everything hyperlinked as the defender always does. So you can, don't have to take their word for it. Go read, read, read. It takes time to really um, understand and, and, um, and vet what you're reading, but it's all there for you to follow, go down these rabbit holes. But this is a tremendous amount of money. Um, so much money, Javier, has been spent by our federal government um, on campaigns. I know with with the COVID shot, there was at one time like a $2 billion, with a B, dollar um, campaign to increase confidence in the COVID shot. Correct. And that's not that's separate from the money that was allocated through the Department of Defense to fund the messaging to do the uptake all across 50 states. So we're talking about $4 billion, right. not just two. Right. Yeah. And, and this, 
the 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 way they talk about in the um, article and what uh, Merck via our own government is attempting to do is is something that's like a presumptive method. Correct. So we're now going to go back in time to when we really first began hearing about the presumptive method. And that was in 2018, at least it was probably around a little before then, but in 2018, um, informed Twist Washington, we were paying attention. They have the Department of Health has a vaccine advisory committee. And um, this is made up of people who work for uh, like Kaiser Permanente, you've got some public health officers, you've got people who work for the Department of Health in the immunization department. Pretty much everybody's got a vested interest in, in vaccine selling, and none of them will raise their hand mm -hmm. to say they have a conflict of interest, Correct. even though they do the conflict of interest statement at each meeting. Even the person who is a, pharma, uh, a rep for pharmacies, all pharmacies do is make money selling pharmaceutical products, including vaccines. And she does not raise her hand to say she has any conflict of interest. It's Correct. very concerning. Mm -hmm. um, so we learned though in 2018 that the vaccine advisory committee was going to be here a presentation from a Dr. Doug Opal. You can look him up on PubMed and you can see that he's an expert at um, vaccine hesitancy and coercion. Um, and I'm going to, I, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to spend a little bit of time kind of Absolutely. reading to you our response. So we, we had so many people attend this event that we all didn't fit in the room. Some people had to be in the outer area and we had giant posters um, made that were vaccine inserts and, you know, some, I can't remember all the different things that we had on there, but, but this was our response. So I'm going to go ahead because it's so relevant today. Uh, what we said. So we we ended up writing this because you only got three minutes of public comment and they only gave 15 total minutes. So we we condensed this down when we presented it to be able to have five people present three minutes. Um, but this is what's so important. Um, vaccines are only defined as safe on a population basis, not on an individual basis. It is therefore unethical and completely out of the scope of the Department of Health's work to go beyond the general recommendations on vaccination and step into the middle of the doctor-patient relationship. Now I'll pause here, Javier, because this exactly pertains now to the CDC hiring this Merck consultant to train doctors how to use scripted language to coerce vaccination, right? This is highly unethical. It is unethical and outside the scope of your work, meaning the Department of Health, to teach doctors how to convince and coerce their patients instead of encouraging them to understand their patients' individual risk factors and give them the information needed to exercise fully informed consent. The Department of Health engages in activities that actually discourage doctors from prioritizing informed consent and individual risk factors. The Department of Health sponsors webinars in which presenters tell providers that vaccine inserts are just legal mumbo jumbo with no relevant data other than how to reconstitute a vaccine. I attended those conferences. Oh my God. The Department of, yeah, that was actually, the big one was at Bastyr Naturopathic University, if you can believe that. It, oh, that I can. Was, 
Yeah. yeah. I can now. Yeah. Yeah. The Department of Health website and all their informational materials contain dangerously false and misleading information as to the actual capabilities and risks of vaccines, implying, like on their protests page, that newborns are protected if their mothers and siblings and grandparents are vaccinated. But the recent data, of course, this is 2018 when I think the CHERRY study was just coming out. Um, that the recent data show that newborns are catching pertussis from their fully vaccinated siblings and family members. And now the Department of Health is learning how to guide providers with presumptive scripts, nudging, and other forms of psychological manipulation, which confirms that the Department of Health is very actively engaged in preventing fully informed medical consent from happening at the individual level. This may not be legal. We know it is not ethical. Um, so thoughts before I move to section two, what <laughs> <laughs> one is that it, nudging and these, uh, scripted language, uh, processes are, uh, basically offshoots of, uh, Tavistock Institute and their Delphi process. Oh, Delphi, tell me, I don't, I don't know what you're saying. So let's, I'm going to stop so, sharing for a minute and you can elaborate. So the, so the Tavistock Institute, uh, was born out of, uh, uh, in the UK, in, in Britain, uh, out of a, a need to um, understand what shell shock was during World War One and how to oh. best how to best treat these individuals that came in with shell shock, but what they found out or that was that was basically the 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 impetus for it. What it really was was a psychological um, operation center to understand how to manipulate and mold the human mind under trauma. Mm. Tavistock has had many different schools and programs that have developed out of it, basically as a propaganda arm that uses very advanced, very effective psychological as well as neurological techniques to get people to accept information and change under pressure. Oh, that's like the past three years. Holy cow. So the Delphi process was a process in which Basically, you assume that everyone is going to go. We already have a direction that we're going to go. We just have to make everyone agree that, yeah, this is what we want. There's no debate. It's basically, it's pre-judged, it's pre-set. This is where we're going to go. We're just going to make sure that everyone is convinced that they want to go there. Right. There is no room for debate. It's pre-scripted. This is coming out. This is basically training and training manual, manual that's been applied across many different industries. And it's just being repackaged in the healthcare sector to tell doctors, to tell their patients, this is, we already know this is, this is what we want and where we want to go. We just have to make sure that we use the right linguistic, neurolinguistic programming and coercion and fear and pressure. Again, trauma-based mm -hmm. uh, manipulation. And, you know, parents are like first-time parents. They're like, of course we're going to trust you. We don't know what's best for our baby. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's immense pressure. Mm -hmm. it's, and again, go, going through and having a child for the first time or the second time mm -hmm. is stressful and in some cases can be traumatic. Yeah. Right. So again, it's it's using these techniques to get to that. And and we need to get better. I You know, I, I want to keep everything above board, honest, earnest. I want to figure out how we can use these techniques, but not in an evil way. How we, so one of the things though, that I began to adopt 
within the past year or two, because there's this debate within our community of, do we embrace the term anti-vaxxer based on the definition of what they say? Because they call any anti-vaxxer anybody who opposes mandates, who's critical of any vaccine, who chooses not to get one vaccine. You know, it's pretty much anybody who isn't on board with every vaccine, you know, completely. Or do we just say, I'm not going to take that disparaging thing to heart. And I'm of a mind of, because I've seen through history where terms that were at first derogative, if, if your community embraces them, you de-weaponize it. And so I started having this attitude if somebody says, what are you, an anti-vaxxer? Or you don't get the shot. And I'd say, oh, well, I'm sorry that, you know, it sounds as if you haven't gotten really the information you need to get, because right. really, if you're not an anti-vaxxer right now, based on the definition of anti-vaxxer, it, I don't think you've been paying attention. Can I give you some information? So I just, I don't look at it as a slide. I just show if you're not an anti-vaxxer, you're not paying attention. Right. right. So exactly. just assuming and just standing in truth and not being not letting the term mean anything bad to me and just saying, let me tell you what I know, because you might just want to take that badge, too. Right. Exactly. If, if we have to have a label and it's going to be out there, um, you might want to embrace this label is, Absolutely. you know, um, oh, I had another thought. It, it was about about embracing that, but now I can't remember it. I want, I'm going to return. Um, right. To the letter, to the Absolutely. letter, because I want people and, you know, maybe informed choice, Washington, maybe we can do some updating of this as well, because what I want people to do is feel very empowered, you know, make like a one page or a pocket size of this so that when you hear propaganda or like, I would love individuals, if you go to the doctor's office, um, Maybe we'll have like a two-sided. The other side will be like actual the CDC script. And you could say, oh, hi, doctor. It's, it, look at you're using the presumptive method on me. Sorry, it ain't going to work, right? So when you could call out the propaganda and the scripting, you know, and say, that's not going to work with me. I'm, I'm all about, you know, prove to me that injecting lipid nanoparticles is safe. You know, I want to talk the actual, do you even know what a lipid nanoparticle is? I mean, don't talk to me if you don't know what that is. Most doctors don't. <laughs> you know? They have no clue. Right. I, um, so anyway, okay. So let's go back to this. So then the second um, bit of this was we focused a bit on doctor's education. So doctors receive inadequate vaccination education medical school, and they are not taught how to personalize vaccination to minimize risk of injury. They are only taught to stick to the schedule. So I won't spend the time going completely through that, but it's a lot of just science of what we know now that if you are going to vaccinate, you better pay attention to all of these things because these increase an individual's risk of, of having a severe adverse reaction. Um, you know, they're only taught about nudging and being on time and the full schedule and all of that. So Number th the third section here is unquestioned top-down recommendations by the ACIP are failing us. Because Javier, if you go to the ACIP, CDC's general vaccination recommendations, their guidelines, they even will admit in there, they admit that there are no safety studies for, the, for vaccinating while somebody is 
um, under the influence of a sedative or anesthetic, you know, like they've been put under for surgery. They say we there's no safety studies. However, there was a study over here where they did this and that, and it looked as if they still developed um, antibodies, even though they were underneath all these drugs. That's not I, a safety study. And no. so they they then will go on to call it a myth or misunderstanding that you cannot vaccinate in the presence of these drugs. And I wish they'd stop using immunobridging as a fait accompli of immunity. Mm-hmm. That is that is right there one of the best pieces of propaganda that CDC has ever put out for vaccines. Yeah. Immunobridging is all you need. There's no study showing that there's any correlate, yeah. zero correlate. Yeah, and, and explain to our lay audience immunobridging. Immunobridging basically says, or th- if you develop an antibody to whatever is injected to you, that's taken as a correlate of, oh, now you're protected against whatever we injected into you. Mm-hmm. So, and it's always assumed that it's the uh, protein or the, the antigen against a particular microbe or virus. That is absolute garbage. The only way you can actually tell if you're immunized is if you do not get the disease from that particular pathogen, period. Yeah, you don't get infected at all, right? That's that's immunity. Immunity bridging is also used. And if you can explain this, um, you like they did this with Gardasil. There was the original Gardasil and Gardasil 4. Between getting to two, the regular one and the fourth, and between the fourth and the new Gardasil 9 that they use now, they did immunobridging studies. And they said, well, it was safe for this group of kids at this age. So we are assuming that it's safe for this group of kids because of what we saw here. It was just, it's like guesswork. That's not science. That isn't science. That's marketing. If Absolutely. you want to do real science, you know, basically state your conflicts of interest, try and separate yourself as much as possible from them and try and be truthful in what yeah. you do. And again, you're dealing with human lives. You're dealing with children here. Yeah. You're dealing with the reproductive health. You're dealing with their future health and you're actually okay doing this. Yeah. There's a word for that. And I have to say this because I, again, I'm not going to hold back anymore. Those people are monsters. They think they're doing well, but they're actually doing harm. Yeah. And that's the definition of a monster. Exactly. And and the system as it exists today has created a lot of monsters. And, you know, we aim to change that. So the unquestioned top-down recommendations by the ASIP are failing us. Javier, I've said many times, I'll continue to say we need a system of checks and balances in public health and in medicine. Because that is the only way to keep the individual safe is if something comes down from the top at every level, it gets questioned, it gets criticized, it gets analyzed. The the studies get repeated. Real science is repeatable, right? Repeatable outcomes. Um, everybody has access to the same data so they can do the same studies and really do. The, and, and every step of the way, we there should be this encouragement, this pushback. Um, of testing checks and balances. That's what is keeps a free nation free is when you've got checks and balances and we're losing those as well. Um, so the anyway, the ASIP recommendations are often made in the absence of adequate safety data and sometimes in the absence of any data at all. And if you read deeply in their stuff, they admit it. Um, then we had the, at that time, Shingrix and Heplosav B were new out and those vaccines had never been tested in the presence of any other adjuvanted vaccines. And yet what the ACIP recommended them be um, administered, they recommended to do them 
with other vaccines, even adjuvant ones, just to see what would happen, <laughs> you know, but you're not told that when you go get it. And then for many vaccination situations in ACIP's general guidelines, there's no safety data at all. I think I already said that um, increased uh, reaction. And the one that really kills me here is the 2011 general guidelines, and it says it in the most recent ones as well, that the safety and efficacy of vaccinated persons who have mild illnesses have been documented. But look at this. There are four citations and they include just one 1980 study that looked at safety, and it was for a single measles vaccine in 518 children in Rwanda. And then, so, and, and they really weren't even looking at safety. They were looking to see if antibodies were created in these children who were sick when they were vaccinated. The other is a 1985 study that looked at seroconversion of 595 children, undernourished Haitians, when given a single measles vaccine. Not that... 10 vaccines given at a two month, four month well child visit, right? One vaccine. The third citation that they give is a 1992 conference abstract about the serologic response to measles vaccine among children. And I've never been able to find the full abstract. And the fourth citation was a 93 study that has nothing to do with safety, was, but was to determine the proportion of preschool-aged patients attending emergency departments who might be eligible for measles vaccination. That's what they use to tell every doctor in the United States that if a child is mildly unwell, it's safe to administer a vaccine. And it's all there. If you just go look, if that journalist would just go look and read it and she'd go, maybe she's got the cognitive dissonance. I just, there must be more to it. She may say to herself, I don't know. Well, um, and again, it's one of those things that who, why would, why would they actually want to do anything to harm us? Yeah. That's basically, it's the trusting part of it. And again, history shows us repeatedly, you cannot trust governments. They lie and they will they do lie. things to harm you. Yeah. Every yeah. time you have to Every hold them accountable. And one of the other things we brought up at this Department of Health Vaccine Advisory Committee um, was a 2015 CDC white paper. So this white paper pulled in subject matter experts, including Dr. Stanley Plotkin, who is considered the king of vaccines. He's worked with every um, uh, vaccine company, you know, ever been. He's done the research. He, he has... Um, been paid by everyone, you know, he's the king of vaccines. Edgar Marcuse, who is in Washington State and and sits on the Washington Vaccine Advisory Committee, and he attended this meeting. So it was amazing that we got to voice our concerns to Dr. Marcuse, who was right there, and then Walter Ornstein, who I'm sure you've heard of, who's been with, you know, the NIH and a lot of these issues that have been going on for decades now. Um, in this white paper, they were tasked, here, I'll just read this. In this white paper, uh, Plotkin, Marcuse, and Ornstein, and two other subject matter experts reviewed adverse outcomes identified by the Institute of Medicine, focusing on biologic plausibility, relevance to the entire immunization schedule, and feasibility to study in the vaccine safety data network. That's the VSD. That's the one that they won't let private people, independent researchers have access to. So they were tasked for looking at a host of reported adverse events to see which ones they can study. And again, based on biologic plausibility, 
relevance to the entire immunization schedule because they weren't looking at individual vaccine reactions, just things that might have happened because somebody was exposed to the full schedule. Okay. That's important for it shows later on if you go into it because they limited same things because they seem to be to one vaccine, not to the schedule. Okay. Anyway, so Plotkin and the other subject matter experts in the CDC white paper agreed that there were 43 adverse outcomes in relation to the entire vaccine schedule that were relevant to study, meaning they had biologic plausibility to exposure to the schedule, they were relevant to the full schedule, and it was feasible to study in the VSD. The list of 43 adverse outcomes, Javier, included allergy, asthma, autism spectrum disorders, Crohn's disease, meningitis, and uh, learning communication and developmental disorders. So I'm going to go ahead and stop sharing that now here. So two minutes. So this 2015 study, the experts admitted these things have been reported and there is no science has been done to show whether or not there is a causal relationship, but it's biologically plausible. But you know what? There is a study that came out this year that showed the asthma component that exposure to the aluminum adjuvant in early years does increase your risk of persistent asthma. I don't know if it emerged from this white paper or not, but, you know, my theory is they want to move in mRNA shots. So they're trying to trash aluminum exactly. adjuvant shots. But right. So, you know, people, um, in, again, Informed Choice Washington members, thank you for funding us, funding the show, funding our website, funding our work. We wrote that years ago. You were part of this organization then, and I hope you're with us still and we're growing. We're going to try to arm you with the information you need to go out there and educate doctors, show them what's going on. Um, because this is, it's, it's taking things to exactly. the next level. <laughs> Javier, last word. <laughs> Too many, uh, but uh, <laughs> keep on reading, keep on fighting. Again, remember everything that comes out from any government organization, be it state, county, or federal, you have to, you're responsible for actually finding out if it's true or not mm -hmm. and holding those people up accountable. If they lied to you, either by omission or by direct um, uh, lying, hold them accountable. Hold them accountable. And don't forget to hug your kids, laugh, love, listen to music, walk barefoot in the grass because life is still good. God is still good. Nature's still good. We got this. Thank you, Javier. And, and thank you everybody for listening to an Informed Life Radio. And we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye now. Hi, I'm Brian Dacus, president and founder of the Pacific Institute. For over 25 years, PGI's mission has been to defend religious freedom, parental rights, and the sanctity of human life. PGI has protected patients from being taken off life support and stood up for citizens around the country facing job loss for medical decisions that should be left between them and their doctor. For free legal representation and resources, visit PGI.org. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. 
My name is Del Baytree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com.